You know what I love about Luke's writings? Is that it's so rich that you know how when you when you sit and you watch a really good movie, it has like this superficial plot and you kind of get that and everything, but then there's some deeper meaning and and in some of these really good movies, they even have even underlying themes and things like that. And that's kind of how I read this particular parable, this story, if you will, of these two sons. And Ben just read for us just one part of the story, if you will, one part of the parable. There's a, a bigger story involved in the relationship between the father and son here and the other brother and the relationship between He and his younger brother, and then he and his father. And then there's this even greater relationship that's there in the story. One of the Israelites, and the way they would look at their Gentile brethren. Or maybe the way some of the Jews would look upon their other Jews, and how their relationship was viewed between them and their God. Pretty rich stuff. This morning, we're not focusing on all that. We're just going to focus on that prodigal son. But there is two paths that this one person takes in his own life and in a very, generally speaking, short time, short for us, that is, that I'm hoping that we'll get from this because I think it is reflective upon many lives among those who believe in God and those who live as Christians. I have known elders and deacons and gospel preachers among other saints who live this very life. number of them. thing is, we don't like talking about it publicly because that's our reputation. But it's a fact that this has happened to many. And it's not a matter of, well, here, here am I, this is my life, and I'm proud. No, no, far from it. But this is the reality of so many lives. And since last week we were talking about hope, I thought, what a great follow-up to show the life of one who can go from this path, this lifestyle, going into sin, and with humility, see a life of redemption through righteousness. And so those are the things that I'm wanting for us to, to look at, because when we look back at our lives, we can see this sin and righteousness, this redemption, if you will, in the lives of individuals with hindsight. And it is with hindsight that we look at this parable, we can see the steps that are descending to the one whose heart is so full of sin. Even if on the surface they don't see it. On the surface it may be, well, this is my right, this is going to be, and I'm looking at it logically and what have you. But they don't see that downward spiral that leads, well, to the pit with the, with the pigs. And then we get to see the ascension, if you will, of what takes place in the life of this prodigal son and the path that was taken. And so I want us to see these two paths in this life of this one individual. And hopefully this is something we can walk away with, not only maybe from a standpoint of if we're living this life, but maybe help someone who is. Someone who's on that downward spiral to help them see what can happen if they change course, if you will. So let's look at this parable a little bit more from that path of sin and look at the first uh, few verses. In verse 11, again, verses 11 and 12, it says, A certain man had two sons, and focusing on this one son, it says, The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me. (laughs) Stop and think about that. 
The very first words to your dad is, Dad, give me. How many dads have heard this before? <laughs> it's usually like this from a child. Give me. First words. I want you to give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Just taking a step back and looking at the Jewish life, naturally, you don't typically get your inheritance until when? <laughs> your father dies. And then the land is divided where the firstborn son gets half, and then the rest of the sons get the remaining portion of, of that inheritance. And here's the younger of the sons saying, give it to me. That is the very first sign that you see when someone is going to be led down the path of sin, the ultimate one-word picture that takes them down that path is that selfishness. Whatever that lust is. First John chapter 2 and verse 15 following. We see the very beginning of sin when he says to his father, give me. And then we see beyond selfishness, we see him making his choice to leave the father. In fact, here is God. He doesn't want us to live this selfish way. He wants us to live selflessly with him. To present our bodies a living sacrifice. To look at other individuals and see how we can serve them. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. But instead, here's a person that says, me, my, mine. The very first thing he wants to do is take what would be given to him and go away. I want you young people to think about these things. And for parents too. I hear a lot of parents going, I just can't wait for them to get out of the house. <laughs> can't wait. And you know what the children are saying? I just can't wait to get out of the house. But that's just not the way our father works. He wants us to stay home. He wants us to, to continue in that relationship with Him. But those who are selfish, they want to go off and do their own thing. And we justify it. You know, I'm, I'm my own person. I have my own choices. I have my own life. Me and mine. And I want to do what I want to do. It's all about me. And so he goes off to a faraway country. How very... What's the word? I'm sorry, symptomatic. I was making up a word in my head. It's symbolic of going off into this faraway country, having no fellowship with their God. That's just the opposite of what God wants. And yet that's exactly what he does. He goes to a faraway country and it goes on to tell us of what he is now able to do with what his mind wanted to do out of that selfishness. He is given over to his sensual desires. So look at what it says here in verse 13. And not many days after, the younger uh, son gathered all together, journeyed to a faraway country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. You know why many churches don't go off and do all kinds of things that these big congregations do? They don't have the means. Give them the means and see what happens. I don't remember because, well, maybe I try to suppress it. But I know one of my sons loves when he gets money. The thing, as soon as it leaves my hand, it's at the cash register. Right, Dane? 
<laughs> He's actually doing a good job. He's saving this time. <laughs> but it's just one of those things. As soon as you get the chance to do something with it, it's gone. But it's gone not just by service, not helping others who are in need, but the essential desires. What can I do for me? It's all about me. And this person doesn't even realize that while for a fleeting moment he gets to fulfill the flesh, something is coming upon his life and he's not prepared for it. See, all he is doing is with short-sightedness, looking at the here and the now, what can I do to fulfill my desires? I mean, my desires are nothing about what is good. It's just all what is selfish. He's down the path of sin. Verse 14 tells us that spiritual destruction is right upon him. It says that when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine. Isn't that always the case? Just when you don't have, and that's when everything comes upon you. But this person, it's not because he was doing good or helping others in need. It's because of his selfishness. He gives all that he has to his pleasure. And now comes a destruction, spiritual destruction. He began to be in want. When the famine comes, or maybe when the bridegroom comes and I don't have my lamp trimmed and ready. We're not prepared for the destruction that is befalling upon us. We are at a loss now. What am I going to do? And this happens in so many lives, spiritually speaking, among brothers and sisters in Christ. And we fall down in that path. I want you to note what goes on here, because this is very telling for a Jew to hear this parable. It goes on to tell us that in verse 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Notice that he left his father, left the fellowship, the communion of his father, and now joins himself with some foreigner. Desperate time calls for desperate desperate measures. And that foreigner sends him into his fields to feed swine. Pigs. A Jew listening to this would hear this. And this wouldn't just ring right at all. Because what Jew would ever go and feed pigs when they're unclean? I cannot touch anything unclean. I'm a Jew. And imagine a Jew hearing this very word. But again, when you're out and down, have nothing, you're willing to do anything just to live. And this person joins himself with a foreigner. Someone who's far away from his father. Someone who has nothing to do with his father and has him work for him. He is enslaved to that foreigner. Enslaved in such a matter that makes me think of Satan. Self-abasement comes. Sometimes I hear when, when people are addicted, whether it's to alcohol or to drugs or any other thing, you, you have to hear, hit rock bottom, we're told, before you come to realize your situation. And what we have here is This person is pretty close to rock bottom, but he's not there yet. The scripture goes on to tell us what happens, because this person is at the point where now not only is he 
working in the midst of these swine or this swine. He's now able to gladly eat what the swine would eat. He would gladly, verse 16, have filled his stomach with the pods the swine ate. And as if that was not bad enough, no one gave him anything. Could you imagine? Look at what you did. You took all that you had. Notice all your friends that you went and shared all what you had to go fulfill your pleasures. Where are they now? What well, all the consequences that we can drum up in our minds as to why when he's at this position in life, no one gives him anything. Death, no, I don't even want to go down the political road. <laughs> this is the point. He's at starvation now. Spiritually starved. If you're looking at this parable trying to understand what Jesus is teaching. And it's at that very moment. Redemption is coming to mind. Righteousness. Look at what it goes on to say here. There is some self-realization taking place. It says in verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. He came to himself. What does it take, brethren, for us to get down so spiritually? It's easy physically. When you're physically starving and you start seeing your bones and everything just getting real scrawny and you just have hunger pangs all the time. I mean, genuine, not the ones that come every four hours. But genuine hunger. That you're eating stuff out of garbage cans. That you're going to your neighbor's trash. And you're willing to eat all of that. Is that when you come to yourself, spiritually speaking as well? That's what many do. When they have nothing left. And they're longing for something. They're longing to be filled, fulfilled. Something that is not fleeting like the inheritance that he got that was so easily thrown away. But something that is lasting, substantive. And so when he comes to himself, he says, I will arise. And notice this concept when he says this in, in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. And this is what I'm going to say. This is the whole concept of self-realization when you can say, here's where I'm at. Look at how good I had it back then. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up. He's at the very bottom now. And now comes the ascent. This is the whole concept of resurrection. This is the whole con um, concept of reconciliation. This is the whole picture of redemption here in this one person. And he makes the commitment. He's going to arise and he's going to go to his father and he's going to say, Father, I've sinned. This is what I need to do. This is, this is what I need to do if I'm going to get out of where I'm at right now. I need to repent. And so here's this person with humility, with abasement, if you will. This humility that brings him to the point where he's not just thinking about it. He gets up and he goes. And then he arose from that foreign country and comes back to where he needs to be. 
to his father. And when we read the scripture here, very, very beautiful. It says that he arose, came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion. He didn't say, oh, there's that. He's going to want more money. He's going to want more inheritance. He's only going to cause me trouble. His father, with compassion, looks upon his prodigal son. And ran to his son, fell on his neck, and kissed him. What kind of father do we have? What kind of father do we have that we can go headlong into sin, wallow in that sin like swine, and then come back to him? Imagine how stink and how gross he looked. And his father opens up his arms and kisses on his son. Or the son coming upon him and kissing upon his father with the father's open arms. That's a picture of reconciliation. That's a picture that gives anyone who is here, who is going down the path of sin right now, amazing hope. Imagine reading this when Luke wrote it. Imagine wondering, is this me? Because it sure feels like it is. And realizing what is before them in their heavenly father. And then, of course, we go on to verse 22, um, verse 21 and 22. It says, and the son said to his father, father, I have sinned just as he said he was going to say to his father. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer to be called your son. But the father said to his servants. To servants now. Bring out the best robe, put it on my son. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Now this is the father who just gave his inheritance away to his sons. To the older one and to him. Now even with what he has remaining, he gives to his son even more. Bring out the best robe, put it on him. Adorn him. With jewelry. Give him the best. And that's what our Father wants to do. He wants to clothe us again. Put on that white linen, if you will, of purity. And of righteousness, of holiness. Bring out the best. And then we, we finish the, the parable with this picture of rejoicing. At least this part of the parable, I should say. He says in verse 23, bring out, the father does, bring out the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. You think about this. His starving son is now able to eat from that fatted calf, not from some swine, not from pods. Eat from a fatted calf that had been sacrificed in his stead. Is there not a picture here? <laughs> I see Satan involved, I see Christ involved, I see the scheme of redemption involved, I see history involved in this one parable. And we're only in the first part of the story. The only part that we're focused on. He says, let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they, the father, the son, and all the servants, 
began to be married. I don't want to get into the second son. That's just for another, another sermon. I just want to focus on this right now. You take someone who was selfish and thinking only of himself, and all you see is him going down, down, down to the very pit of hell. But when he comes to himself and thinks, what have I done? Then he thinks elsewhere. Because he cannot help himself, he looks to the one who can give him all the help, the salvation. That's his father. But when he goes in that direction, that is the direction not only of righteousness, but redemption. That's what brings us to this point for our lives. Stop and think about your walk with the Lord right now. Where are you at? Are you looking upon it? What, what is in it for me? What is, you know, can I just get mine? Or are you saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to my father. He's the one who's able to give me and clothe me. But I'm not even worthy to be a son. I just want to be a servant. You see, our Father brought us into His kingdom not to be servants, but to be children of God. Our mindset may be that we are going to be servants because we don't deserve the fellowship that we have after all that we've squandered by way of sin. And that's the humility on our end that we should have, I believe. But God looks to us as children of God. Children who have been reclothed and reconciled. Where there's rejoicing by being with the Father again. That allows for us to happily go everywhere and say, look at how great my dad is. My father is so wonderful that when I didn't even deserve to come back home, he opened his arms to me. Now, if we fast forward and, and bring this into modern situations, many of us would say, what kind of father is ludicrous as to do that? You know, he needs to learn his lesson. But our God is such an amazing God. He opens his arms and says, you come back to me and I'll clothe you again and I will care for you again as a father does his son. And so the rejoicing takes place. As we conclude, I want you to stop and think about these things in your life. It is God's will. It is his desire that all people who have fallen short of his glory come back to him. He wants you to do it. That's why he sends out his children into all four corners of the earth to seek and save the lost. And some of that lost are those who have tasted salvation. Now, I know from a standpoint of when we look at Scripture, when those who want to go headlong in sin, they're so far removed, even if they're right here physically, they're so far in another country spiritually. And you can't force them to come back. The father never did go after his son, even though he could have. But he was so willing when the son came back to his father that when his father saw him, he ran. And that's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of God that should give you the hope that we're talking about last Sunday. The kind of hope that says, if I come back to my God, He will come to me. Open His arms, and we can rejoice together again. So the question is, what path are you on? You see, it's easy to justify your choices, but when you look at it 
by taking a step back? Are your choices really justifiable or are they nothing but selfishness? Nothing but representing sin? Or is the path that you're on a path that leads to righteousness? One that brings forth redemption in your life? Those are the songs that we are singing this morning. So the question is, who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow your your own desires? Or are you going to follow the will of God? 